Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. I, Brian, we were talking about this earlier, but I'm really proud of my shirt. He is wearing a shirt that says "Magic is everywhere," and there's a dragon. But then it also says, "You just have to know where to look," which is related to our episode. Excellent. And what 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 T-shirt brand is that? Marketing. Uh, it is Wizard of Barge. Their shit is dope. This episode yeah. is sponsored by. Wait, did I get that wrong? Is it Boss Dog? Wizard of Barge is scary. Um, what are we doing today, Jonathan? Man, I feel really bad. I want to get this right. Well, Brian, we're here to talk to Will Liebenberg. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna edit this part out, and then I'm gonna get it right because I wanna. Uh, I'm trying to focus. on I am too, but this is part of work. Okay, so it must be Wizard of Barge. So I think I can edit that part out there. I'm Googling right now. Unreal. All right, and Google. it is Wizard of Barge. I was right. Yeah. I'm gonna you know what? I'm gonna start putting sound effects in this. And I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put like a Seinfeld audience. Wait, Seinfeld doesn't have live audience. Yeah, they do. They fully do. They have a laugh track. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put the crowd cheering track on that when I no I'm not and edit and edit so Wizard of Barge made this shirt y'all should check them out because they make cool shit my anyways cool you look like you're rubbing your face off <laughs> yeah it's because I'm going insane because we had a very interesting conversation with our good buddy Will and uh He's a uh, brand marketing director, and he's pretty phenomenal. And we went deep and learned a lot about the monster known as... Wait, I want to say it. I want to say it. Let me say the monster. Mm-hmm. Marketor. Marketor. Like, like a dinosaur, dinosaur. but Marketor. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. M-A-R-K-E-T-A-U-R. Did I spell that right? I think you did. Marketor. There it is. That's our monster. Uh, Marketor, and you know... Unpacking the relationship a little bit between marketing and design, um, kind of understanding what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked to Will about his early days as a sports journalist working at Bleacher Report and how working there led to working in um, brand marketing and kind of unpacking the major differences between those two fields. Um, so, yeah, Will is intensely articulate very engaging mm-hmm. i could have talked to him for a few more hours um yeah and then at the end of the episode jonathan what do we do uh at the end we talk about some monsters and some monsters. Uh, there's some really fun ones pulling from the movies barbarian dune and the ritual, the ritual. So stay tuned for that well one thing i wanted to say too with with will which is i think really cool is something we want to do more and more is not just limiting our guests and our topics and our monsters to things that are like really directly related like scope creep or or you know process or something like that it's very much like ingrained in that designer lexicon but 
things that maybe be a little bit, we feel are, are more on the outskirts, like marketing that, that has to do with what we do as designers and in some ways has everything to do with what we do as designers. So we want to definitely try to open up to more guests like that. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see how that uh, monster hit list continues to evolve, which is another keyword from today's evolution. It's, a, it's the Pee Wee Herman how word do of you the day. Change? Yeah. Um, speaking of change, I just want everybody to know my plant has been sprouting this entire time. I've been on this, you know, this episode for over an hour. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the conversation, my sprouting plant was beneath the leaves. And now it is above the leaves. And the, so um, the mushrooms that Brian had on his desk are gone. So... There you go. Cause and effect. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. With that, let's get into it. Here we go. I don't want to record. He's just trolling you with his giant's garbage. He's, he's, he's trying to start a fight. So, for I people who it. don't know, Will, you're a big Dodgers boy, right? I mean, I wouldn't say boy, but I'm a you know, big Dodger fan. It's <laughs> in my blood. I, I feel it very strongly. I think they've changed a lot in the last few years, but I think that it's still pretty mm -hmm. pretty important to maintain my fandom. And when I see a Giants hat, it's just like, is it Halloween? Well, you know, what's the deal? I'm just not- John's just, he's- <laughs> Is it Halloween? He's just, he's just being a dick. Like coming out with his Giants hat. So I don't, <laughs> I don't have much skin in this game. I, I don't know a lot about baseball. But I kind of have a loyalty towards the Dodgers, having grown enough. up in Los Angeles. Yeah. Love it. Like two I, against three, two or I two can. against one here. But I don't two know anything. One. I just I went to Dodger games growing up. But the interesting thing about John, which I think is actually like a thing among fans today, for the most part, is you know he's got hats for every team. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> he's wearing a Giants hat today. I'm not really sure what that means. If tomorrow he's wearing. <laughs> You know, a San Diego Padres hat. Both yeah. teams in L West, mm -hmm. both teams in California, both teams yeah. at the opposite ends of California. Whatever, mm -hmm. teach their own. You know what I mean? Hey, it's, I'm a I'm a baseball fan. Unless it's Dodgers. What I, what I unless like, it's Dodgers. <laughs> what John, I mean what I what I like too is that some of your favorite branding on your hats, it resembles a, a bandwagon, you know? It's Ooh. just <laughs> dagger. Wow. Well, can I just ask Brian not Man. to be cruel, but is this, no, I don't a, know any... this is just a blank hat you're wearing. Yes, it is. No, Not actually, to be cruel. <laughs> it's, I can tell you about this hat. Well, I'd, I'd like to know because it signifies literally nothing. So if you look, if you look, or everything. Oh, wow! If oh, you dude. look, so you let me tell you. Gun. I got this hat last winter when it was raining a lot because mm -hmm. this thing is waterproof. Ah, uh, okay. And it's sweatproof. Now, as I'm saying that, nice. I'm realizing tool. that it's is not tool. sweat. There's a little something on the top. That is from the farm, and I need to take care of that action. Okay. But it's from the farm. But I this see you is still like, have the you still got the sticker on it too. No, it's not a so sticker. It's, it's a it's like it's just like a oh. I thought it was just, like the 
you still got this like you're you're a cool guy you got the sticker on no it, so. dude i'm not that cool um okay. it's super yeah. comfortable but the main thing is it's <laughs> waterproof gotcha and it I doesn't like, like i need to wash it but like it's mm-hmm. like it's super durable um i was going yeah. through so many other hats this is what happens when you start losing your hair you rely you rely <laughs> agree, on yeah. the power of hats yeah not great yeah. three white guys talking about losing their hair great mm-hmm. content no, you irrelevant. Yeah. Will, you have yeah. a ton of hair. John, yes. you have hair. Every day I'm trying to just <laughs> be grateful Question for it. Question mark. You have hair, I think. Yeah. No, you I wear hats well, you a lot. I have yeah. the least. Like I've got I'm a little like, bit of the peak kind of going, you know, and so yeah, I'm always on the fence. Like I just put a hat on all the time. I'm actually gonna grow it out. I'm gonna like one last try. I'm gonna grow it super long. It's going to take probably a couple years. I did it once before, like down to here. If you're watching. Wait, really? Yeah. You're going to like grow it like Legolas long? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Doing it. One last time. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. God. (laughs) Okay. Well, welcome to the chaos of Monsters of Design. Has it begun? Yeah. It it started started about four minutes ago, man. No, but we're going to go through and edit, but... This Maybe. is just what I have to deal with. Well, you know, it's... as we're going to be doing this, I realize, Brian, I'm going to be thinking about, ooh, that was a good moment for a clip for social. <laughs> I'm going to be like, ooh, oh, yeah. that, mm-hmm. was, Marketing that was actually nice. Because mm-hmm. it's been on my mind. I'm going to grab my watch. It's a good segue to uh, the, the topic at hand, which is marketing. Oh. And the monster is... Can't wait to talk about this. Marketor, like dinosaur. Marketor. So... Marketor. So we had some debate <laughs> around how to pronounce this monster. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. At first, John said Marketar. Oh, I think he meant Lievenberg. And I was like, here we go again. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've okay. established that. Mr. Yeah. Will Lievenberg. We've got Levenberg. that on lock. Thank you. We don't, I'm, it's, I'm pronouncing it Marketor, like a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marketor. That's the correct way. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But I was wrong. I no, but Marketar kind of sounds like a nice... Like I could see that in like a Godzilla movie, right? Yeah, that does kind of, yeah. But to be correct, to be the you know, dinosaur side of the pronunciation, it should be market. Yeah, okay, because it goes back with some of what we're going, connects back. To so, will I? You could probably tell right now we chose a really good solid name for this. That's not confusing <laughs> at all. So we're gonna stick with it. I feel great about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the best way to market it, but uh, you know, it's all right. That's okay. Sometimes it's it really go viral. So viral. Yeah. So, anyways, so, yeah, marketing, and we have We're here. Will Levenberg. Just kidding. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I work with Will at YML Y Media Labs, and Will is the director of brand marketing. That kind of shifted recently, right? It was just like director of marketing, but I think more director of brand marketing is, is more of the official title. Yeah, I right? slid that right on in there. And just slid the know. brand. <laughs> and I think that makes sense because of a lot of you know what we do, and I, I want to hear more from you, but to kind of tee it up, YML, digital product company, we have a brand that we are marketing to the rest of the world. And part of that brand the biggest part is really our work and that that's what makes up who we are. And so I'm curious, like how, what does that role look like to you? And then maybe even before that, how'd you, how'd you get into all of this and bleacher report and all that kind of cool stuff that came before? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, what a pleasure to be with you two, just podcast <laughs> legends. legends. Um, especially Legend. Blank Hat Guy. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I I started in this in this world with with Bleacher Report. I was a sports writer. I thought I wanted to be in some capacity, you know, at the NBA Finals, you know, covering March Madness, the Masters, you know, name any big sports event. I grew up playing sports, you know, had Laker and Dodger games on in my family, watching every game over dinner. Like that was sort of the world that I operated in. I came from a family of writers, editors, people really kind of embedded in, in magazine journalism. And I just kind of have this love for storytelling and and how you get something to reach people, whether that's words, whether that's how you think about it visually. And I just really was passionate about it. And, and Bleacher Report was really cool. I was I was at school at Berkeley in the Bay Area. And, you know, <laughs> I wanted to be a writer, but I found this thing called Bleacher Report, which had its own content management system. It was free to sign up. And they had syndication with Yahoo and with an array of local publications. So if I chose to write about, let's say the Los Angeles Dodgers, my story might get picked up um, perhaps by the LA Times or the Orange County Register or a publication that could help to spread my name, but definitely the Bleacher Report name too. And it was just really fun to get to pick all the photos for the story, find quotes for every story, think about those stories on the way to class, on the way back. And I turned you know, the 100, 200 stories that I wrote my sophomore year of college into an internship, turn that into into (laughs) the internship that led to a full-time job out of college. And there were only 15 people when I started and I was there for 10 years. When I left, it was about 650. Company had been acquired by Turner Sports, which was then Time Warner, which became AT&T. But Mm. I kind of turned the sports writing piece of things into brand marketing because at the end of the day, it's it's really just about how you tell stories and how you reach people, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's what gets me up. What cool. so uh, when you were um, leading up to Bleacher, were yeah. you just covering like local sports or just kind of anything that caught your uh, eye? When when it was just me. I was writing about, I think, I mean, the nice thing about it was I didn't have an editor. So it was kind of like I could write about anything. They had a queue of stories sitting um, for editors on their side to review. And then they'd look at headlines, they'd read the story. And then if it was super relevant, if it was high quality, they would push it up to like the front page of the website. That was early days and how that all worked. But I wrote about what I thought was relevant and interesting. Sometimes it was a profile on on Tiger Woods. Um, Sometimes it was... Hey, did you watch that game last night? Um, you know, San Antonio Spurs are going to win the next championship. Here's five reasons why. Big clickbait, clickbait guy. Huge. Yeah. Top 10 this, top five that. And yeah. not because I believe in it, but I know it's a lot easier for people to consume stories when it's the three reasons why or the top 10 this. That's still totally true today. But, you know, in 2010, Instagram wasn't really around for you to do that as a gallery right? Or your IG story tiles or a gallery on LinkedIn or TikTok, et cetera. So, so coming up with ways to tell those stories was, um, was what, yeah, got me going. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that I didn't know you were there for that long, which is crazy because I've probably known you for like three years at this point and (laughs) I haven't learned that about you yet, but now I know. And that's crazy that it started, I didn't realize it started like that. 
because I have always seen it as something much bigger, you know, in recent years, being more familiar with yeah. it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was we were there it, since like the beginning, basically. And I think, you know, that drew me to YML too, like getting to work in a startup environment. It's kind of a goddamn mess, frankly, <laughs> and because it's, you know, it's like, oh, you show up and it's like, this is my title, but then here's 40 things that need to get done. And you kind of need to do them. And if you yeah. have a sense of entitlement or ego, it's just not going to work. And I think mm -hmm. the nice thing about Bleacher Report, especially at that time, was it was 15 people, predominantly men, which was not good. But it was folks who were really passionate about sports, really tapped into digital storytelling, um, mm -hmm. what that looked like to tell those stories on social as well. Yeah. And and it was folks who just wanted to... <laughs> to hang out and do this work. And it just grew so quickly and the team grew, the funding grew. And then the world that you probably sort of first encountered Bleacher Report in was maybe, I would guess like 2013, 2014, because when we got acquired, it opened up doors that Turner Sports had, which was, you know, lower third ads, mid game NBA on TNT mm -hmm. every yeah. Monday and yeah. Thursday, right? And I was in charge of choosing and working with designers to create the, all those ads. What's the content that's relevant? What's the next event that's relevant? What's the story we mm -hmm. want to tell? Same thing with MLB playoffs. Same thing with the PGA Championship. Just an array of opportunity to start reaching hundreds of millions of people. And that yeah. is wild yeah. for a company that really didn't have to do a lot of marketing prior to the actual acquisition. The storytelling and the use of Google ads in particular, just kind of gamifying Google a little bit too. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what really helped spread the word. And so cool. How did so you know you're 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 a journalist. You're writing. You're covering um, these different narratives around sports. Um, how I know I know you described that there is definitely a connection between what you're doing at Bleacher and brand marketing. But how did you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I I want to give marketing a try. Yeah. Well, there was somebody who was at Bleacher Report who had started like five different teams and every single one kept being kind of like a new success. And I sort of was drawn to why that person had the ear of our CEO when this guy was like 26. I mean, and I was 21. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it was kind of just like, you know, I want to attach myself to that person. And he was starting a new team called the Media Lab, which was meant to be an innovation hub within Bleacher Report. Essentially, how can we start to tell more immersive visual stories and, and experiment with not just like, hey, this was the game last night. Here's the stats you need to know. Here's who, um, you know, the guys who are going to make it to the finals this year, all-star, et cetera. A lot less of like the positioning sports as kind of, I would say maybe our, our previous generation looked at it, more like simply highlights stats um, box scores. This was like, what's the impact of, of sports and music? How do you look at sports mm -hmm. as a gateway to other categories of culture? Mm -hmm. And I think that was just something that in 2013, 2014, 2015, just really started to pick up because you saw, you know, before NBA games, you start seeing Steph Curry and what he's wearing coming down right. the tunnel, right? It's like, my dad would say, who fucking cares what he's wearing? But, you know, that night, John might buy that outfit, right? Like, that was sort of the way that that goes, right? Or it's like, hey, here's sucker. the playlist. Here's the playlist that LeBron is listening yeah, to yeah. before the game to get him hyped. All of a sudden, the next time Brian's in the gym, he can go on Spotify and find that playlist. Yeah. Like, things like that just really intrigued me. 
So I was able to kind of broker a relationship with this guy, came on to the team, and this was like a mini startup now within Bleacher Report. And we hired two motion designers, um, one guy who now is the director of um, design at TikTok, who is the most versatile designer I've probably ever met. Um, he can do graphic design, motion design, animation, just across the board. Mm. And I was project manager and kind of marketing manager on one. And we would create ideas and we would just throw shit at the wall, frankly. And we had the sort of backing of the massive following at Bleacher Report to experiment with some of these ideas, some of which were like short form moments for social. Some of them were like deep dives about why Tracy McGrady, you know, never really got his shot or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of during that time, too, if you remember, um, the New York Times in 2011 put out a story called Snowfall. It's like the yes. first like, immersive parallax. Oh, when you scroll, mm -hmm. things move. It was like, if you remember, that's only like 10 and yeah. a half years ago, 11 years ago, but that was wild. And yeah. this team was meant to sort of create moments that broke the internet like that. Cool. Um, and that team ended up, frankly, changing the whole dynamic of, of what Bleacher Report became. Our positioning started to change to become more at the intersection of sports and culture because yeah. the content we were making just started to really hit. Started bringing in brands to advertise with us, started creating opportunities for us to have events. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I kind of became our brand marketing guy. Cool. Fascinating. That's awesome. So it just naturally evolved over the course of your time at Bleacher. It I mean, I think in general, like the job of marketers and then the job of marketers bosses is to have a constant pulse on what's working and what isn't and sort of be, be willing to throw things away that don't work and also, you know, green light things that need to be considered an experiment. But mm -hmm. you always need to have a sense of, of where it's going or what you want it to do. If it has unintended consequences, but they're good, that might open up a new door. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I, I hadn't um, thought so clearly about the intersection of sports and culture and that the specific impacts sports has on our culture which is tremendous. It does, has a huge, does have a huge footprint. Yeah, I mean, um, think about the World Cup right now in, in Qatar. Like that's yeah, yeah. upending a lot of things in, in politics, in, in advertising, um, yeah. in, in just viewership and engagement. But, you know, something that we worked on, for instance, just before I left in 2018, the World Cup was coming. And so I ran a project with our editorial team and our video team, basically called Larger Than Life, because the thing that I think Americans are starting to get on on track with, but they don't quite realize is that like everyone here knows LeBron James, right? But everyone around the world knows Ronaldo and right. Messi and Paul Pogba and Neymar, right? These athletes who are like truly global icons. So I worked with this team to say, how do we turn this into a moment for our brand? How do we position us again at that intersection of sports and culture and also how do we do it in a way that's going to really amplify that story for us and then position us as kind of leaders? And so we came up with this kind of cool idea. We were able to get access to Paul Pogba, Neymar, and Mo Salah, who's an amazing Egyptian player. And we created three different murals in three different cities all around the U.S. One is a mural that's 70 feet tall that's still in Times Square. What? Wild. 
Another one is um, on the outskirts of um, the French Quarter in New Orleans. And another one is in Miami for Neymar. And, uh, I'm going and for Christmas. Is... I'll have to check that out. You, <laughs> you have, have to, to check it out. Oh, Drop the, me a pin. The art is incredible. We partnered with this muralist named B. Mike. And basically, like we were able to introduce Paul Pogba, Neymar, and Mo Salah to this artist, B. Mike, get his interpretation of what made them larger than life. And then meanwhile, we had writers interviewing these guys to also tell their story. So it was a very cool sort of editorial moment paired with like a physical moment with the art, all of which was meant to say to the United States and fans here, like get in the game, right? Like these yeah. guys are bigger than you can possibly imagine. And then the game itself is is the world's game, the beautiful game for a reason. So that was yeah. a sweet moment. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's interesting because it kind of, um, especially, a lot of the average American's relationship with soccer um, identifies sort of our American centrism when it comes to sports, yep. right? Mm -hmm. We have these blinders oh, on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's football and the rest of the world, but yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but we're going to call it this. Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. wow. I and, think what's, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. You go. No, no, you go. No, you. <laughs> right. No, I, I think what's this. what I what's really cool is, I think that that concept of storytelling gets lost a lot in marketing, and when it does, I think that's when people are left with a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to storytelling. And I mm -hmm. think not just that, but what I'm hearing from you is it's not just, oh, it's just you just got to tell a story when you're marketing something. What it sounds like you're getting at is that what Bleach Report did and what you did with them is you're looking for the stories that no one's telling. And that's that sort of intersection of sport and culture where it's like, hey, no one's really like touching on this in this way, but it's yeah. there. It's already happening. You're seeing the connection of fashion and sports and music and sports and there's crossover yes. and even the celebrities that are coming to watch the game like right at the front, right at the, you know, at the, the best seats in the house. And like, there is this cultural moment that happens when sports is happening. And so I think that's really cool. And I think I've seen a lot of that from what you've been doing at YML. And I'm curious how learning to market in that way and growing that capability and skill set and perspective at Bleacher Report kind of brought you into more of this I mean, I guess it's still a digital product in a sense, but but the yeah. the product Bleacher Report is but, is creating isn't necessarily the digital yeah, product. Yeah, I mean, but YML that's that is yeah. what it is. So how how did that transition work when it when yeah. it comes to that sort of unique storytelling approach? Like specifically to um, the main difference I'm seeing between Bleacher's sports and culture and then YML, which is a there's a Silicon Valley narrative and storytelling, which is very different than sports and culture. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Describe well, that. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> Describe that. Yeah, so, uh, no, a couple of <laughs> things. I think John, we just shared is spot on. So that's a, I'm I'm a big believer in that exact idea. And yeah. I think just to unpack it briefly further is, you know, the interesting thing about marketing, and I think what's happened, especially in the last like five to ten years, is like, oh, you know what I need a, a performance marketing person. Oh, you know what I need is is a paid media marketing specialist. Oh, you know what I need? Someone who does content marketing, right? There's all these different lanes of marketing mm -hmm. and they're all very important. But I think the one that 
you know, I, I like most and am drawn to most and, and, and want to believe I excel at is the conversation that has to go down at the very foundational level, which is what makes my brand different than every other brand, like the differentiation story. And for Bleacher Report in that moment, like we had differentiated ourselves for the first few years purely through the massive volume of stories that we were creating that we knew aligned with people's search intent on Google. That was like a very clear moment that we owned. And then all of a sudden, CBS Sports, The Athletic, an array of other old school and new school brands started to pick that up. So the Media Lab was sort of the solution, if possible, to say what's going to be next. Mm -hmm. And that intersection of sports and culture became our our point of of differentiation. There wasn't another brand out there that could own storytelling in that way, both substantive, long form, meaningful stories, as well as short form, quick hits on social and then events and then apparel and then this and that. Right. So, so yeah, that, that ability to do that, I think is super hard. It requires having a sense of, well, what's the context of the space you're in, right? Who are the leaders? Why are they the leaders? Who's coming up? What do they do differently? Um, how much money do you need to do these things? Who are the people you need, right? So all of that factors into how you ultimately create that story. But I mean, listen, the transition from Bleacher Report to YML, and I would say this to our CEO, I'll say it to you, was a goddamn mess. Um, <laughs> and that was because Sorry, I mean, changing change jobs <laughs> is hard, right? I'm sure for either of you, for anyone listening, like changing jobs, especially going from a world like B2C right? Business to consumer versus B2B business to business, super different because your audience is super different, right? Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. remember very many times in 10 years of Bleacher Report, you know, approaching a big project and the goal being make money. Mm -hmm. And that's not a diss at the services world that we're in now at YML. Like that's just like real, but at Mm -hmm. YML, it's like, well, well, we're accountable for X amount of dollars marketing has to drive that. So draw a line between the thing you just invested your time in and revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. a really difficult thing to do. And, you know, I can do my storytelling thing. I can bring that to life on social, right? Like I can create an event. Like I feel like, you know, I can, I can amplify stories and make sure they come off in a really premium way. But ensuring that someone who has a lot of money sees that, ensuring that every single touch right. point of your brand is is really spot on and consistent whether they find you on google whether they find you through a medium article whether someone goes to the website sees a case study something on social hears about you from a friend of a friend like all of those things you really need to control so that Mm -hmm. you know the executive who who has a budget to get something done and then finds that yml has the power the solution the proof to give you know that person enough trust to then say okay Let's work on this project for the next three months, six months, year um, for half a million dollars. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and that took me a long time to figure out at YML. But luckily, there's just sharp people here or at YML. Yeah, there's just yeah. really, really, really thoughtful, like experienced folks who I could learn from, who were patient with me, and who I think were open to the idea um, of changing the game a little bit with how YML had been running prior to me joining. Yeah, for sure. I definitely echo that. And even 
working on, I won't say who it is yet. We'll leave it as a surprise, <laughs> but the current case study we're working on together, you, myself, you know, number mm -hmm. of people working with two of our really awesome creative directors, Soli and Craig Kind, um, the way they're driving, they've been pushing me in such a cool way. And I've learned so much from working with the two of them on this project of yep. like, what do the executives want to see in this case study and yeah, how are we yeah. going to tell that story? And it's just been so cool to see it come together. And I think yesterday we all kind of saw it pay off, like everyone's totally. work coming in and then us doing a review with our, our, you know, our, our executive team and seeing them feel really good about it. And it's like, totally. it's so cool to see. I was telling Craig, I was like, I feel like we're developing a style for our case studies and even our case yeah. study videos, like they feel like why no, but I think that's because of the nuts and bolts. It's because of what we are starting to uncover, which sounds like a lot of what you're doing at Bleach Report. So I would, yeah. a lot of that credit I think goes to you and what you're trying to shape in terms of how we should do these case studies is coming through even in our case study videos. And that's why they feel YML because of what they're saying, not just how they look where I'm not going to name them, but there's some other agencies that we point to and we're like, these are cool. And they have a yeah. vibe and they have a style because they do things a certain way. And that's cool. But honestly, like when we hold them up side by side, I'm like, man, ours yeah. say so much more. So, well, exactly. Yeah. And I think like going back to marketeur and <laughs> all these pieces, it's like tour. the marketer's job, in my <laughs> opinion, is marketeur. to be marketeur. Um, <laughs> the marketer's job, in my opinion, is to be consistently accountable for what your audience gives a shit about. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. because if I bring a project to four or five other people, right, who are the folks I need to help me bring that vision to life, like, John, you can do things that I just simply cannot do with design, with video, and I am so grateful. But sometimes, right, you or folks in a different path will will stray away and be like, I yeah. had this cool idea. And I'm like, what you just made is really sick. The problem is it has literally <laughs> nothing to do with what our audience gets a shit about. Or yeah. it's like, hey, we should save that thing because it's cool. But yeah. for this, we just need to bring it right back here. And, you know, that's that's really tough because I think people then sometimes resent marketing because it's like, oh, all you care about is I was money. Just gonna all, say, you yeah. about is, all you care about is this. Well. Frankly, someone has to, yeah. there's a version of creativity and yeah. sales that can kind of live in the middle. And frankly, marketing is that, is that sweet spot, right? It has to appreciate and, and inspire briefs and then be accountable for how that impact, once that thing is live, um, drives impact for, for the business mm -hmm. or for the team or recruitment or whatever the goals are. Yeah. Th so this is what one thing I want to touch on. And this is the perfect segue because monsters of design, like the whole purpose of it, right. Is that we're creating these monsters or really just giving names to these monsters that I think as designers, this is definitely for a wider audience, but I think as designers, sure. we're growing through our career and we're bumping up against these things that we don't quite understand yet that we're wrestling with that sometimes we feel like are out to get us and are haunting us. And I know that for me early on, exactly what you're just talking about, yeah. you know, sometimes like, and I still do it. Like you literally, you're just yeah. like, yeah, John still does. And I do like, cause I'm always thinking like, oh, that's so cool. And I have to be reined in. And I think all of us kind of have to, to a certain extent, but yeah. when you're younger as a designer and you're early on in your career, you are very much looking to see what is cool. And, and that is kind of part of your job when you're younger. 
you yep. definitely want to be bringing the ideas in for someone that's maybe like a lead or an art director, or a creative director, whoever that is leading the ideas a little bit more. And you're sort sort of supposed to help support that. But yep. early on, I definitely felt tension with people that were more in the quote unquote marketing space. Yeah. And so that marketing person was a monster to me. I remember feeling mm -hmm. that way and I don't feel that way anymore. I definitely embrace it. And I think working with you so directly, especially when I first started at YMO, we were like besties, like we worked together every I day. Do. And I think like that Our really helped me is. grow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> so I'm curious, like what has been, you know, with, with that big mouthful of explanation, what has been your experience being in the marketing space, working with designers, how have you seen that tension and friction take place along the way? I kind of anticipated a question about this a little bit, and I just wanted to share one <laughs> the core small question. Anecdote. Like, I don't, I think, I mean, I'm like a relatively probably type A-ish person. I, I like things a certain way, but I also mm -hmm. think I appreciate creativity. I like working with creative people. I like breaking, you know, the, the bounds of what's kind of expected. And in that media lab team, we hired this designer, the guy who I said is now like the most versatile designer I've ever worked with. And, you know, like I'd come in, I'd show up like, you know, tucked in shirt, you know, kind of like prepared for my day. Let's do this, everybody. And this guy, I would say, you know, I'd get in maybe 7.45, 8 a.m. for me. I already had my coffee. I'm like, I got my list of shit to do. Let's go, yeah. right? This guy, maybe 10-ish rolls in. And I'm like, where you been? <laughs> I like, could just see that going down dude, so was, well with Will. He was busy getting inspired, <laughs> man. But then it's like, you know, the guy would pump out just incredible work and have really great ideas. But I just, I didn't understand, and I don't want to generalize with designers, but I didn't understand that some creative folks, like, you don't put chains on these people. You don't give them times <laughs> to come in. Like, and I, and I, I swear to God, you, like, oh, we have a meeting. Like, <laughs> it, just, it just was so, it was so bizarre to me that, that we just, it, it was, that was our fundamental break is sort of like, mm -hmm. like my appreciation for sort of structure and rules a little bit. And his sort of like, what's the big deal? Like, we're going to get the work done. And I'm like, yeah, but we're going to end up doing it on your schedule, which is yeah. no schedule. And yeah. that then affects deadlines, that affects budgets, that affects yeah. how we communicate things back to people. And that was stuff that I was accountable for. So I just feel mm -hmm. like that was one of my first encounters working with plus kind of managing a designer. But he mm -hmm. is undeniably someone who's taught me more than anybody else. And frankly, I wouldn't be where I'm at without him because his ability to make my briefs or my ideas better or then sometimes just say, okay, I think I know what you mean. I'll be back in two hours. And then comes back yeah. suddenly with like an animatic for something or or like, hey, I have this mood board. What do you think about this? It just, it, it showed me so much. And, you know, working with creative directors, designers today, like I've worked with now a lot of cool illustrators and muralists from Bleacher Report, like I mentioned too. Sorry, it all I, is I have to call this out because I know Brian and I are going to start cracking up. What happened? I don't know if you saw this, and I'm I'm really happy we're doing video now. 
And I know but, it's rude for interrupting, but Brian and I were about to break out in like some serious laughter. I just did this. Or, one. He just, I'm Brian just did so, this. I'm, I'm, so I'm if you're listening to this on Spotify, go watch the video because it's so, pretty fucking hilarious. I'm, I'm like, it's because I was so intently listening to Will yeah. um, and, you know, talking about learning that, you know, creatives need this runway. Um, and as I'm listening world. to you describe it, I do this. With the cap on. Oh, my God. And I watched it, and I was trying not to laugh. And, I was, and then I knew Brian was watching me trying not to laugh. And then I was watching then, Brian trying not to laugh. And, and it was here. about to. It was erupt, literally because so. I was laser focused on Will, and I just yeah. forgot my physical surroundings. This um, is reminding me of like our earlier meetings when we were developing Lion in the Valley. Just lots of mayhem in those meetings, which actually were the precursor to this podcast. It was totally. Brian and I. Um, making your day very interesting will and then me going <laughs> i think brian and i should do a podcast because this is fun yes that was that was a moment in time I'm just um, <laughs> but but will i mean getting back Sorry. to this anyways oh no, come on let's keep doing this Can I, come that on. was so funny um <laughs> but getting back to this idea that it's interesting you're 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 hitting on something very specific and helpful is learning that creatives and yes this applies to designers I can't speak as a designer. I can speak as a writer, but both you need, they're both creatives um, in their, whatever work they're doing. This idea that you need the runway, you know, that you need, you need the, the, the time to like reflect and get, you know, turn, put the, the stew on the oven, put the burners on and get things cooking. Um, it's you can't just mechanically like produce the thing. So it's interesting learning that you need the runway, but then also you as um, in marketing providing guardrails. So mm -hmm. people stay on course. So, you know, yep. so that's. Um, yeah. And I think the other piece too, I a hundred percent agree. Also, I think what's really important is, you know, not, I mean, not to um, underestimate anyone ever ideally, but giving people ammunition for what works and why is, is hugely important. And I think yeah. that starts with like a really good brief for any type of project, whether you're making a tiny little ad, whether you're designing a logo, whether you're making a big case study video, right? Like, what do you want this thing to be? Who's it for? What do you want them to feel? What's the goal? Mm -hmm. Where is this going to live? Like you need that information and you need time to think about it before you share it with people who are going to make it because mm -hmm. they need to trust you. And the amount of times, by the way, and I've done this to John many times, that I've created a brief and then midway gone, we need this also, not just 1920 by 1080 for LinkedIn and Twitter. We also need it 9 by 16 mobile for IG story. So just whip that up. Um, and it's like, that shit is not easy to whip up. If you've built something for landscape, all of a sudden making it mobile is going to be a pain in the ass. It changes the entire dynamic of, of the experience. But if someone like John or whoever you're working with has time and knows the, the deliverables ahead of time, knows who it's for, right? Mm -hmm. Then they have time to prep or they have time to say, this is only going to work in one of those places, which is most important, right? Yeah. And the other side of that too is once it gets pushed out, right? Once the work launches, it's not ever done in my opinion, right? Like the amount of access to data that we have, the amount of information that you can gather about why it worked or why it didn't because again you have those goals ahead of time and you know what you're tracking for yeah like that's vital 
that will inform the rest of your marketing calendar, your marketing strategy, your budget. You know, if you want to work with these people again, if it worked and if it didn't, right? There's just so many pieces that you need to be cognizant of. And that was, and that's probably my biggest, not complaint, but the weakness of some of the work at Bleacher Report was we put so many things out into the world and we saw followers coming in on social. We saw advertisers coming in. We didn't always do the best job of tracking these things. Whereas at YML, it's been so much more intentional about, mm -hmm. okay, we worked on this video for this client. We built that into a case study. We use that case study for award submissions. We won awards. Then these clients came in because they saw that award that we won. Right. We can all of a sudden start drawing lines between, okay, well, let's, it sounds like winning awards helps win new business. Like it's not a crazy idea, but if we hadn't been tracking it from the start and seen the yeah. impact, then we wouldn't keep investing like this. And frankly, mm -hmm. my relationship with John's team, the studio team, like every single award that we've won, which is 30 in the last two and a half years, which is phenomenal for clients and for YML, we are, we are bound, man, whether you like me or not, like Gotta make a video. it is like, Gotta we're make making video. videos and we're changing mm -hmm. the way we're telling stories about our work. Yeah. And to your point, hopefully we're always putting the work first, but it lives within something that feels very YML. So yeah. I. I have to, to piggyback off of that and kind of keep talking about this. Will, I, and I, this is a question from the perspective of um, director of marketing, but what is for you, what does it look like to tell stories in the digital product design space? For me, meaning for YML, everything goes back to impact, right? Like, there are a lot of different stories that we could tell about process and about approach and about strategy. And that is important and it ladders up to how you garnered that impact. But you know, if, if Polestar, a great client of ours, which is um, an electric driving company inside of Volvo, they came to us and said, Hey, our website isn't converting. So we want you to not only make the website look cool, but also make sure that conversion goes up at least X amount of percent. Yeah. When the work launches and we have those numbers, I don't care how cool the video looks if the impact sucks. Right. Mm. Luckily with that one, all of it was awesome, right? Yeah. It drove impact. The creative was crazy cool. The storytelling around it was then allowed to be more substantive because we had all these pieces um, to show how we did it yeah. and how it worked. And that case study drives an, an array of business for us consistently now. Mm -hmm. So I think... Um, that piece is just consistently important, but like, yeah, man, the digital product world, I think it really is just about consistency, right? Um, we know that our target audience is somebody who likely is a senior leader who is in charge of moving really quickly for their business of managing probably a technology team, a design team, a product team. They are accountable for driving revenue at their brand. Um, they're accountable for an array of technologies for how their product reaches people. Um, and I need to keep all that in mind so that whether it's a case study, whether it's a social post, whether it's an event that we put on, that person is being kept in mind yeah. for every single touch point, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and when things hit, we know why. And when they don't, we learn as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. I, 
what's what's rad about this um and it's so interesting because this is a very different episode for us to have you know you on it's it's just a different aspect of like the design world that is very much connected to it but i think also the idea that it is a monster is what is keeping it separate too much and i think that this whole converse conversation is showing how integral it is yes to selling like the work that we do to future clients but i think sure. it, it needs to be a lot more immersive and i think at yml we we do do a really good job of bringing that like all the way down to like in figma designing components for sites thinking about the content we're producing it's very totally. centered around impact and that has been like a culture i've seen since I mean, make a lasting impact has been like one of our taglines since I started yep. almost three years ago. And, yep. Um, I I think what I'm kind of curious about then is that kind of like the slay tame love monsters of design thing, like that love portion of it, right? Like, you, and you're kind of hitting on it, I think, with Polestar. But what are those moments where you're just like, man, this is when marketing and design are just like match made in heaven this is when they're they're just really killing it together they're working real really well together like actual teams of people are yeah. working really well and what is that sort of message you have based off that to designers especially younger ones who are starting to like understand ah okay it's not just making things look pretty it's making sure that there's impact and i'm solving business problems for clients yeah i think i'll just start with the second half a little bit and, you know, I was not obviously ever a designer, but I, I worked so closely with them for so long and still do. And I think the most important way to start there, whether you're a, a younger designer or not, is like, it's not different teams, man. Like, mm -hmm. it's not exactly. a different, yeah. it's not us against them. And I just vividly remember, like, when I we just didn't one. understand, man. <laughs> I just didn't understand some of the marketing and sales world. And I was, and I was more of like, I'm a, I'm a content person. Like I tell stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like you feel this pride around like money, like who needs it? But then it's like, well, <laughs> we, all pay rent. we all want to go have a bite to eat. We want to do this. We want to do that. And I think there's almost like a, like a guilt associated with like, doing yeah. something that helps the business or something when you're on the creative side. And that just, it is, it is so poorly conveyed by managers sometimes or by leaders that like, mm -hmm. you know, you're all fueling something together. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm always trying to frankly bring to life when I'm working with anyone across engineering, design, product, executives. It's like everyone is in marketing, sorry. Like every yeah. single person yeah. is, is in marketing. And if you don't believe that the post that you throw up on your social is going to be something that somebody is going to remember at some point about you or about that business, mm -hmm. like you're not in touch with reality. Right. Yeah. Or if you don't feel like the, the case study or the project that you're working on, isn't going to impact your business. Like you're missing out on something that I think is really critical to your potential growth um, in whatever role you're in. Yeah, the the product director, like design director at MindBody, who is like August's boss. Um, mm -hmm. Wow, he's really great. I really liked working with him. He's at a new, I think he's still there, um, company called Product Plan. They're like a startup um, doing like uh, product management for product 
companies and a friend of mine who was art director of my body's over there with him right now. But that uh, design director, he, I remember one time we had a meeting and he just goes, good design is good marketing. And it was just such a, like, it like stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Like if you design this well, it will market itself. And that doesn't take away from yeah. the efforts that, that kind of come into play. But I would imagine that good design helps you market things better. And I think it's such a cool nugget for designers to remember if good design is good marketing. So what you're doing right now is marketing. That's like what you were saying, you know? Exactly, exactly. And like, that's why it's just a super important reason again for that sort of transparency between like, you know, if someone on the design side helps me create a graphic for social or, you know, a poster Mm -hmm. or something, whatever it might be, it's like, I I need to show them the value that that had, right? In the immediate or in the long term, And I think, you know, again, like the piece that at YML has been really fascinating and I got to touch on at Bleacher Report, but if you do good marketing, it's not just like good design is good marketing, but also it's the rising tide that lifts all boats, right? If you, or ships, boats, ships, Brian, I feel like you would know that. (laughs) It's, they're, you know, they're similar. Well, okay. It can work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's winning awards, for instance, not only brings in the next big client, but if if Brian's like, you know what, I want to give YML a shot, I'm gonna look him up, I'm gonna think about this. That's really good for your SEO, right? If if one of the first things a recruit sees is that you're winning industry awards for client work mm-hmm. and it's a brand that everybody knows, pff, that's gonna make them okay, I'll lean in a little bit more. Okay, I'll go to their careers page, right? Yeah. Um, all of a sudden it's like if press is helping to drive awareness for the business and you don't need to be following YML on social to learn about them, but you see an article in Forbes or Fortune or Ad Age or The Drum, whatever it might be, all of that, again, contributes to a story about that brand. And to me, I'm accountable for a consistent premium story that attracts multiple audiences, specifically you know, the target client as well as the target recruit. And those are the people I'm sort of, those are my yeah. monsters, if you will, right? Like they keep yeah. me up at night along with some of our bosses because, you know, they channel <laughs> them, I channel them, but like, yeah. those are the folks I need to make sure I'm reaching. And, mm-hmm. and I know, I think now after a few years, what works and what doesn't, I need to also be aware of like how to push the bounds of that. So I don't get complacent. Yeah. So, okay. Complacency. Good lead in for this next question. Um, and John, this was something I think actually you came up with, but um, I want to push this question a little bit because I think it's important. Um, there's been a lot of change in Silicon Valley the last 18 months. Um, and I think yep. one of the things that's come up is, you know, how, in your opinion, Will, in your read on things, how can marketing evolve, remain current and not fall into the trap of being old, stale, outdated, like a dinosaur? Mm-hmm. That's a broad question. It's a broad question. And I think you're bringing in the Silicon Valley piece, I'm assuming, because YML sort of like brands yes. itself around being sort of a company that exports Silicon Valley to the world, not the like bro macho hoodie vibe. No, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. Yes. But the, no, like no, the no. idea that you're, you're, you're rooted in Silicon, YML is rooted in Silicon Valley. It's telling stories 
to about yeah yeah yes yeah. about people in silicon valley and yes and i think embracing the part of silicon valley that we think is what is transformative which is moving really fast you know leaning into experimentation um all of these words i know are buzzwords innovation right but like if you channel those things as sort of the pillars within how you work that is is definitely intriguing to be it the next hyper growth startup um, or an enterprise. So yes, like that, that part is true. And listen, like this is a dark moment, right? Hundred thousand people in in tech jobs have been laid off in the last month. Yeah. Um, people talking about NFTs and the metaverse. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> We've got war going on. We've got crumbling economy, right? Like it's a heavy, heavy, heavy moment. And that's that stuff going on outside of work. That stuff going on at work. You got to deal with whatever else is going on in your life. I think marketers being relevant, you know, in in this moment, evolving, like you're saying, I think part of it is about really leaning into and owning again that piece of differentiation. Um, I just think if you if you're very very aware of of what distinguishes you from your competition and the value that you bring to that target audience. And then find really authentic, consistent ways of bringing that story to life. That's what's critical. And at Bleacher Report, it was like, we need to reach mass, wild amount of people, right? So we're going to do a national campaign featuring Allen Iverson. We're going to put billboards in Boston, Chicago, Miami, San Francisco, LA. We're going to do a 60-second commercial. There's going to be ads on social. We're going to have influencers, right? At YML, if I did that, people would go, what on earth are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Because we need to hit the chief digital officer at Target. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. guy, maybe he's driving down the freeway, but he's not going to look at his billboard to find his next agency, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it just yeah. is so different. So being relevant is about understanding, you know, where you fit and what value you have, but then knowing what are the right levers to pull to then amplify that message. Um, and then constantly, as I've said, being really aware of what's working and what isn't letting the data sort of inform the story, but not letting it control, you know, all of it. And I think one of our, our leaders at, um, YML, who's an AKQA, um, you know, veteran, he said something for a long time that I thought was really interesting. And again, wildly different from the world that I came to or from, he said, you know, at an agency like YML, you know, we are like a white wall for a gallery, right? Mm -hmm. And our clients are the artwork. I loved that. I'm a visual person. Like that just made me sort of realize, okay, this is so much more clear. But then I got to a point where it was like, well, even the gallery has a point of view, right? Like we have a point of view on which art we're hanging up, mm -hmm. right? Or, or, you know, our founders are immigrants. There's an interesting story there that has helped to bring in a really diverse group of people to our team. That yeah. is is distinct from other agencies, let alone an array of other companies, especially in Silicon Valley. So should we be talking about that? Are we talking about it to get like credit? We're not looking for credit, but it is interesting, right? So those are the things that we are part of measuring, not just again, like the things that will keep the lights on, but the things that really will build up brand. Yeah, and it's interesting. It seem, seems to me there's, the thought of like marketing evolving over time because industries change, the world changes, 
and that it, what I'm hearing is there, there's maybe some truth to that, but really this, the idea of telling a good story and defining what good means, which is relevant, <laughs> defining what relevant means yeah. and it's why, and it's who, and it's this constant, like that, that has never changed. The idea of telling a story and making it compelling that's just at the core, but it's, it's the surrounding circumstances that mm -hmm. are evolving, not really in a linear way, but it's just like any multi-directional way, depending on what it is you are trying to build or sell or create, you know? Yes. And it's a different one, kind of three-dimensional evolution, yeah. basically. I was just going to say one brief example, I feel like of the version of this that is horrible, but unfortunately sort of true. It's like two years ago, I got a message from somebody who was like, you know what we need at YML? A TikTok. <laughs> and I was just like, Jesus Christ. I was just like, you know, and it was partially like, well, our chief digital officers on TikTok, let's go. If we can prove that and they're the ones we care right. about, sure. Or are the designers, engineers, product folks who maybe are thinking about coming to work with YML, are they on TikTok? Mm -hmm. And two years ago, it was just like, it wasn't that I was opposed to the idea. I was just like, we need to figure out how valuable this is for us. And also how do we show up there in a way that doesn't just look like our Instagram or our LinkedIn or our Twitter or like any other agency, you know, mm -hmm. cutting videos now at nine by 16. It's yeah. just like stuff like that. That to me is, 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 is the right instinct. It's like, Oh, there's mass amounts of people here, an opportunity for eyeballs. Like, I mm -hmm. think that's, that's where like a lot of marketers and salespeople in particular sort of like, think is the right reason to jump into something, but I'm just like, you can't jump too quickly. Right. Yeah. Because all those posts are going to live on the people who do see your first ones are going to judge you or not judge you because they've moved on. And I just think, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be thoughtful. You gotta be intentional and it's got to live back up and ladder back up yeah. to, to what you care about. And yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about your, uh, you know, talking about your intended audience describing, you know, somebody, maybe in the C-suite, somebody higher up at some brand looking for um, somebody to tell uh, stories at the digital level. I don't see those people being on TikTok or like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to figure out who that would necessarily be A lot of people on TikTok. We can talk about it for a second, right? I bet those <laughs> folks have a TikTok. I bet they're looking at it whenever the hell they're looking at it, right? Is TikTok the avenue by which they will be inspired exactly. to spend a certain amount of money? Yeah. Or 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 gain trust through TikTok that we are the right partner for X project. And the truth is, some might say, well, it's a part of the journey, right? It's it's the top of the funnel down into you know consideration and all the other pieces where then they finally realize, okay. And that's why we do invest in social channels. That's why we do invest in an array of content marketing. Um, you know, all of these different avenues, all those levers that you pull, again, need to be consistent, in my opinion, need to ladder back to a really specific tone of voice, look and feel. Um, that for us is that impact narrative rooted in Silicon Valley. Um, but <laughs> you need to be cognizant of where your audience is. Yeah. And Again, for the designer, they might be thinking, well, I'm just trying to make something cool, man. I'm just trying to you know, bring this thing to life. I just want it to be special. I don't want to have to worry about that. Well, if you don't worry about that, if you're not cognizant of who your audience is, 
then what you made isn't really going to see the light of day or see mm -hmm. the, the array of eyeballs that it should or get yeah. the recognition that it deserves. And I think, you know, there's projects that I've worked on that were, were big time failures, but the work was sick. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I guarantee you the designers involved were not happy. Then when that thing wins an award and they were so annoyed that I had to have it by a deadline and I need this, and I need that. But then they realize, Oh yeah, my shit won an award. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and now I get to tell my next job about this on my resume. I get yeah. to tell my family, I get to embrace with my team over that moment. And by the way, it's not yeah. obviously all about awards. It is a thing within our industry. But, you know, that tangible impact um, is valuable and, and again, lifts all boats, ships, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, I think and I think the more leaders and managers and even just teammates can encourage each other is in those moments, like you said, I just want it to look cool. To remind each other, like, you're here because you do make things look cool. Don't mm -hmm. worry about that. It will yeah. look cool. But first, focus on this, get this yep. right. You don't even have to try. That's just table stakes. Like, I think a lot of times people don't realize, like, it's not easy to get a job at a design agency, especially an award-winning design agency. It's it's hard. And, like, even for me, like, I feel like I had to really, like, earn it to be here. You know, like, I had to put a lot of work in. And it's hard work. And you have to learn and grow and, like, push yourself and go through really difficult situations. So if you are there, it's because you make things look cool. And I think designers yeah. should kind of take heart in that and like, don't stress about that. You and will think, focus yeah. on the impact, you know? And I would just remind, again, everyone across the organization, but definitely that, that unique relationship between design and marketing, that yeah. marketing is a microphone for your work, Yeah. right? It is, it is, it is a spotlight is an amplifier. Let's look up all these words, find the synonyms, right? Like, like mm -hmm. it is, it is meant to, to channel the best of what you just built, made, designed, created yeah. and, and lift it up. Um, yeah. and ideally your marketer in your organization understands where it can drive the most impact, both on an individual level, on a collective level, industry level. And, and that can be hugely impactful. Um, yeah. And, and not to mention, if you see a designer's portfolio and the work is just gorgeous, right? Like that's awesome. But if the work is gorgeous yeah. and comes with like, you know, having done it for brands that are, are incredibly well-known, or you can point to this work led to X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. like it just, it needs to have that through line. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah. and, I, and my job is to be obsessed with the through line. Like it's yeah. not enough for the work to be cool. Definitely. I put out way, way, way cool shit that did not see the light of day or did not make an impact. And it's mm -hmm. the stuff that actually was recognized, did bring in new business, helped hire more people, um, got press, whatever it might be mm -hmm. that, you know, is, is remembered and what inspires, I think, more work and more opportunities. Yeah. Damn. Well, I think <laughs> that is a really wonderful spot to wrap this portion of the episode good and now i'm really curious about well do you know what's coming next monsters yeah monster time monster time i'm so curious i want to know like will first before we get to what your favorite monster is can you walk us through like your process here like how did you land on process. something did you not land on something like how was this for yeah you? what was the 
Oh, I'm still lost. I, right. you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm right now. I'm reading Dune. That's been on my mind. Okay, no spoilers. Ooh. I'm reading. I've, it. Only, I, I've only read the I first time. I just watched Endgame, um, cool. the Avengers Endgame, on the way home on a flight. I mean, honestly, how good are those fucking movies? Um, and <laughs> talking to you. and then also like. <laughs> You know, like I'm, I'm okay. at a family friends right now, and like Monsters Inc was on because there's kids here. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm I, I love what you guys do, and I love the story, and I love this piece. But the dude in Dune, the Baron, if anyone mm -hmm. has seen the movie, if you've read the book, yeah, that's a good like, one. That is a that is a sneaky, dark, ruthless monster. Mm -hmm. Um. And, I thought you were uh, going to say the worm. So that's a really good answer. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just heavy. And Very I think also, so like, creepy. I, yeah. I saw the movie first and now I'm reading it. So I sort of, as I'm reading it, anytime I'm like on a moment with him, I sort of have the visual in the back of my head and they made that character. So, so ghastly looking and, yeah. and huge and just sort of overpowering. Um, but still like slimy. It just, yeah. oof bizarre <laughs> yeah. i yeah that baron harkonnen right that's yeah. that's such a good answer um it's just relevant for me right now because of the book and yeah. it just opens yeah. up the scars guard lineage of like Dude. intense characters i mean we got is, it we got is that is that yeah. i'm the scars guards man know. they're killing it and my let's just fun fact <laughs> my monster has a scars guard in the movie too shut the fuck up and who's that? Well, I didn't want to like take over your monster because okay. we're still talking about Baron, but I'll go. Cause you know what? It's, this isn't a linear conversation. We can, we can go back and forth. So yeah. Brian and I were talking about it earlier and the way this came about too, uh, Brian works with my wife who runs like a wellness branch. It's like this mag yep. magnesium roll on brand. Super cool. So Brian's working with her on some stuff and nice. They have developed this ongoing conversation about horror going. movies because my wife is like super into horror and I love it too, but I'll go to bed and she stays up and just watches horror movies by herself. Like she's super Damn. into it. Okay. And she watched this movie called Barbarian and she and Brian were like nerding okay. out about it. You have to be careful <laughs> in how you talk about this because okay. you don't necessarily want to spoil narrative points. Okay. Okay. But that's but true. Describe the no, monster. Okay. okay. You know what? Fuck it. No, no, no. Fuck it. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. No, no, it's You've okay. I actually, people. I know how to talk about it without spoiling. Describe, describe it. Okay. So anyways, but I don't, I forget his first name, but the, the Skarsgård who plays it uh, is also in this. Pennywise Skarsgård. Pennywise Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not Baron Skarsgård or Viking Skarsgård. Which, pff, this is so funny because I've kind of, um, mine's kind of related to some of this too. Yeah. We have, okay, continue. Sorry. So I'm going to set it up at least because that's not a spoiler, but just imagine the horror of the unknown in a really misplaced Airbnb and how that story might unfold in a really like terrifying, horrific way. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna not go into it because I want people to watch it. So there is, a monster-esque person that is complicated. It's not just all bad. And that's what makes this so interesting. But the movie is just so creative and so unique. 
And it's so wonderful when a gem of a horror movie like that comes along because like I've watched it twice. My wife has watched it three times and it just doesn't get old. So barbarian. I don't want to give it away, but it's the concept of like, like a monster who's, you know, complicated. And, and there's definitely a story of like why this is a monster. It's not all bad. It's kind of, but it's still super terrifying yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't want to get into it because I think people should watch it. I don't it, want to ruin it because it's so amazing. So it evokes a little bit of Frankenstein's monster. Yes. In, in that you feel tremendous sympathy yes. for this rather terrifying creature thing mm-hmm. and being um, <laughs> that, oh God, I want to say so many words. I know, just, right? Just go see Barbarian. Will, do you watch horror or not? Not particularly, but when I watch it, I mean, a certain kind of horror movie, I, I appreciate really like just the suspense that can be built. Yeah. Not like into the fear, what? but like the suspense being built in certain moments. Like, I don't want to watch a Mel Gibson movie ever in my life, but Signs, I'll never forget <laughs> watching that movie because the music, the way things kind of move, the way they use light. Um, it just everything about that is like just building, 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 building because you mm-hmm. only see like the crazy monster in that like what twice or something. It's a two-hour movie, mm-hmm. but yeah. Anyway, sorry. How, what, okay, what about, no, wait, 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 wait. I need yeah. this is an important question. Oh boy. Well, describe what it felt like the first time you saw the alien footage on signs at that kid's yeah, birthday party. That was yeah. like that was that terrified my childhood. I don't know. Yeah. Did it I kind of you? Like had a I think I did that like any time a movie gives you a visceral reaction, right? It's it's doing what it's supposed to do, right? That mm-hmm. good marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, too soon. Yeah, John, sorry, I um, had to interrupt. Yeah. No, no. Anyway, barbarian. Let's do barbarian. No, uh, well, I was actually gonna throw it back to you, like okay. asking you about that horror movie. Uh you know, do you watch them? What are they like to you? With the Baron, getting back to that, because that that creature of a of a mm-hmm. humanoid deserves you know some explaining. What is horrific about that to you, and why is that compelling? And, and without, why, why did that happen to be your answer? Without narrative spoilers, but describing the physical qualities and some of the emotional qualities at this point. If they haven't, hopefully they will. It is a really, really cool movie. It's a little slow, beautifully shot, um, very heavy. But listen, like the state of this character is he is the, I would say, embodiment of deception. And I think for me, and I think maybe as a marketer too, like some people might say marketing is about deception, right? It's about storytelling and maybe like twisting things a little bit. I'm, I don't like that shit. <laughs> Maybe that's also why I've enjoyed YML because it's like, we talk about what we did, we talk about how we did it, and we talk about the impact mm-hmm. it had, and then we're out. We don't add any anything more than you need. And this character, perhaps, <laughs> is, is just, you know, he's got all these little um, traps that he's setting. Mm-hmm. And he's undeniably smart. And I think that, I guess maybe when I'm, I'm just too much of an idealist and I'm like, if someone is that smart and can control that much, they should be doing good. (laughs) And when I see it in a horror movie like that, I'm just kind of like, this person's a piece of shit and I'm feared by them and, and, and the use of power. And I'm not even done with the book yet. Um, I mostly know what's going to happen, 
but I think that is why that character, the deception, and then the the sort of way that like does that character have legs? Like it can move in a certain way. <laughs> what is <laughs> going like, on there? Mm-hmm. Sorry, right. yeah, I don't fully understand that piece. Just like, like the whole human nature is also very bizarre. He's like yeah. he's like Satan's version of a helium balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of just like nice. every single scene too. Have you ever seen that? Um, that it, it's like a it's like a gif of Brad Pitt in every Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve. He's always eating something. Yeah. Um, this yes. character Baron is always just stuffing his face, and the way it's mm-hmm. written is it's just disgusting, and it's yeah. going down his mouth and his chin yeah. onto his like robes. And I think just mm-hmm. again like the like disgust, the deception. I need one more D. Um, <laughs> it just it's yeah, I'm not a fan. I can give you. <laughs> He's like to me. He reminds me of the horror of consumption. Mm. You know, yeah. um, it's not a yeah. D, but and and how he moves through the world is he doesn't just consume food; right. he consumes culture and people and worlds. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his appetite yeah. is just and goods. T- terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great answer. Mine. How about you. So I just want to. I wanted. Okay, so we have. Skarsgård, Senior Skarsgård, Baron Harkonnen. Then we have Pennywise, Skarsgård, and Barbarian. Mm -hmm. They're both from Viking country. Okay, (laughs) That's so convenient for me because my monster has to do with Nordic culture. All right. So I recently watched a... But it doesn't have to do with the Skarsgård... No, but it's of their people. Who is a Viking? Okay. Yes. It's not that movie, though. What's it called again? Is it called? Wait. Oh, The Northman? Northman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Um, so this this monster is from a film called The Ritual. Okay. Uh, by the dude who directed the recent uh, Hellraiser mm-hmm. reboot. Awesome movie. Um, David Bruckner is the director. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Rituals are just about... These guys just, uh, they're out in Europe, Nordic country, let's call it that. Um, and they're just on a, let's call it a hike. And they end up trying to get back to base sooner. So they cut through a forest and they encounter this terrifying creature that is, it's huge and it's on four legs and it has huge antlers. Spoiler warning. <laughs> I, I don't like mind you spoiling, after. spoiling this. Um, <laughs> you, you find out this monster is a Jotnar. And a Jotnar is a specific kind of being in Norse mythology. And we've seen them in the Marvel movies. Um, oh. Do you ever see the first Thor movie? Mm-hmm. You know, the big blue giants? Yes. The big yeah. blue ice giants? That yep. is kind of Marvel's version of a Jotnar God. is they're big giant people, but the ritual, the, the, it was creaturely. It, mm-hmm. it was still huge. Think of like a demon moose, mm-hmm. you know, big clomping. You can't really see it. Some, for some mm-hmm. reason it can blend into the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big, you know, demon moose, big antlers. And then that's the band Brian and I are starting demon moose. <laughs> Demon moose, mm-hmm. and then attached to its chest is like a, a face with another pair of hands. So it has mm. its 
four legs, mm-hmm. but then at the chest, it is like this little guy just like <laughs> controlling and, everything. Yeah, it's so creepy. It's awesome. It's terrifying. So I've been thinking about the Yotnar. Um, I like it. I like that. Yotan. One final thing I just want to share. I just yeah, finally please. watched No Country for Old Men. Fuck yes. Really? Javier Bardem. Yes. No, I was late to that party. Way late. That's a creepy cattle prod. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to be speaking this way on this podcast. Hey, man, that's why Brian Brian already established that we have an E on our. uh, Oh, yeah. We can fucking say whatever fucking we want to just. Yeah. Anyway, it makes us look cool, too. You know, we're like, it's like the CDs when you're a kid and you're like, Oh, explicit. As cool as that waterproof hat. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know. It is. <laughs> Almost. You have reminded me I need to wash it, but this this hat's <laughs> really comfortable. How do you wash a waterproof? So it's just, it like, it's just, I need to wash it. Hmm. Will's like, yeah, you fucking, you need to fucking wash that. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan. It's, it's the next um, uh, yeah. design piece. I, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. have like sun stains. Like that's part of the design. Like, Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. Now I'm feeling self-conscious about my hat. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Well, this is what I have to deal with. Actually, no, you both are giving me complexes today. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That's okay. Um, so everybody go watch Dune Part 1. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about Dune Part 2. I've actually... I... Uh, started reading the book when it was announced that it was going to be a movie by Denis Villeneuve. And I started reading the book and I actually stopped reading it because I preferred to see it as a movie first. Mm -hmm. So it's the rare sci-fi novel piece of literature that I've not read all the way. So I read like the first little bit. So I'm so curious to see how the story ends. I have no idea. So you haven't seen the original Dune then? I I have not seen the original. I don't want to know. I want to experience it for the first time. Yeah. The ending as in part two. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea, dude. Like going into Dune part one, I thought it was about uh, Oscar Isaac is uh, the bad guy. Mm. I know it's his dad, but I thought he's bad. And it's about Timothy Chalamet going against his father and like Mm -hmm. revolting against his dad who's evil and trying to take over the planet. And clearly that's not what happened. So when everything was unfolding, (laughs) yeah, when everything was unfolding, my kind of, my jaw was kind of on the floor because I was like, I have no, I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, it was crazy. I was, that was my my surprise (laughs) voice. Surprise voice. So um, So everybody has to go see Dune mm-hmm. Barbarian. Barbarian. I think it's on HBO Max. I think and so. go see The Ritual, which is on Netflix. Yes. Nice. That's Wonderful. my. We're, we're sponsored Wonderful. by all three of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Will. Will. Thanks, man. <gasps> we started at the same time. Jinx. Uh oh. Dude, I've, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm so glad we were able to make it work. Yeah. It's been awesome, dude. Yeah, really. I know. I really it. appreciate it. I know it was a bit of a deviation from from past guests who have all been awesome. But um, no, but yeah, this thank is you guys. perfect. I, I mean, that's the whole thing about this is like I want it to. I mean, I, I I would love for us to stray even like outside of like the quote unquote industry. I think there's so much yeah. that. I mean, at the end of the day, like design solving problems. That's it. Love it. So you know, I think there's we we can learn so much from people that are 
on you know maybe a further end of the spectrum when it comes to the design, the core design industry um you know like when it comes to marketing but yeah i think this is kind of the first in us kind of pushing a little bit more outside of it and i think it's going to bring a lot more insight to the conversation yeah i mean i honestly dude i mean legit well i can i ask you like questions for another two hours there's just <laughs> was a like, lot I don't know, but... yeah I, I know <laughs> i will i will interrogate but there, it's just it's really interesting um and having that perspective as a kind of as you know a sports journalist first is super illuminating mm -hmm. um yeah that it's just it's such a cool way to think about shit and i had no idea so i just learned some will lore so that's you know <laughs> That's great. I mean, will lower <laughs> whether there's a designer out there or a marketer out there or anybody else, frankly, I think having to write is a really good trait to have to learn because, you know, yeah. unless you're sort of like journaling, which is fine too, you got to ask questions and you got to yeah. really figure out like what is important and you got to be able to hook people right off the bat. You got to be consistent throughout that story. Not everyone's going to read the whole story, right? So there's just mm -hmm. all those pieces that I think un I was unaware that those things were going to infiltrate marketing mm -hmm. in the world that I've been in now for a long time. Um, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for you guys for having me on. So yeah, no, dude, thank you. absolute pleasure. <laughs> um, uh, John, we could well don't. Well, I have one more thing to say before we sign off. Oh, just kidding. And that is you have to edit me out now. Go Giants. Hey, man. You do you. I'm not here to start a fight. Fuck you. I'm kidding. Teach their own. Dude.